Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Cocaine Willie. I'm your commish, Bob Trollsby. And as always, I'm joined by my co-host, the good chef, Andre Napier, and Fireball, Matt Marchesini. Real quick, I do want to shout out all the Coke fiends out there for listening, because last week's episode was officially our most streamed episode yet, so keep telling your friends and joining the live shows, because we'd love to have all of you on board. On the docket for tonight, we are going to be reviewing what happened in the Texas Tech win, and we'll be joined by Big J journalist Jake Bren from Des Moines' Local 5 ABC News affiliate and a former staffer at Iowa State's SB Nation site, Wide Right and Natty Light. We are really excited to have him on and to get the gang together as usual. Gentlemen, Chef, Fireball Matt, how are you boys doing tonight, and how about that dub against the Red Raiders? Feeling good after, um, you know, compared to how I was feeling in the second quarter of that game last week, I'm feeling pretty good. I mean, happy about a Cats victory, of course. Um, you know, it was a it, it was one of those games that had a ton of ups and downs in it, a lot of momentum swings. But at the end of the day, it was great to see the good guys win that one. And um, I felt at the end of the game really kind of took control of what they needed to. And, you know, to show that they're a team that's, really at the top of the conference at this point. Yeah, I mean, absolute controlling, run-oriented, old-school, really, if you think about it, style of K-State offense that we haven't seen in a while. I mean, we've ran the ball good this year, but we haven't ran it like that. Uh, I mean, it was just, you know, we had the lull in the second quarter, but if you think about it, we we did things that, I mean, really we've done all season. We've just kind of compacted it into the second quarter and made it made it look a lot worse than it really was. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to lie. You, you guys both know because I was texting you live during during that second quarter. I was I was beside myself. I was in freak out, freak out, burn it down mode. And then once the third quarter kicked in, it's like the second quarter hadn't even happened. And then the fourth, the fourth quarter, we re, we really closed it out and I felt good about the performance by the end of the game, but it really didn't feel good in the moment for whatever reason. Uh, I, I don't want to see any of those second quarter lulls, but at the same time, if we're able to close out the game the way that we did last week and, and continue to play, you know, similar to how we played against Oklahoma. Cause chef, I know you've got some stats on that, that you want to talk through. I I'm going to feel fine about this team throughout the season. We just have to be able to close out games. And and that's something that I feel like this team wasn't able to do last year because those lulls happened more so in the third quarter. And we really just couldn't get things going while other teams were starting to rack up points on us. Look, I, yeah, as you said, you know, we were we were texting through this game and and I was at the game and in that second quarter, although I was not at the two lane game, had just so many, you know, <laughs> so many flashbacks I felt to that game. And one of the key indicators of really the restrengthening of the offense into the second half was being able to get Adrian Martinez opportunities on the quarterback run. Um, I really felt that our offense just hit a new level once we gave him the opportunity to not necessarily have to make a decision in the zone read, but give him the ball. He knows he has the ball on that play and let him do some magic. 
And, you know, the, the rumor is that, you know, there may be a little bit of a pitch count with Adrian Martinez and only giving him an opportunity to run the football a certain number of times. I truly believe this offense is at its best when you give Adrian Martinez the opportunity to run the ball as many times as you need to in a game. Um, you know, as much as the zone read can be really effective with Deuce or um, we didn't really see DJ Gibbons that much, but um, you know, the zone read can be effective there, but defenses know how to play that. And at a certain point in the game, when you're not seeing any success running the football and some of these decisions on those options aren't, aren't necessarily the right decisions, you know, we just saw how the offense hit a complete 180 into a positive with Adrian being able to run the football. Yeah, it's it's really the defense has all the tools at its ability to stop zone read. It's all about playing your keys perfectly. So the run, the run option and the quarterback sweep and quarterback power is all basically just relying on the defense to not be gap sound and getting a hat on a hat. So we, we turn Deuce Vaughn into a lead blocker and it's one-on-one with a safety and what they were doing in that second quarter, I got to give them credit because we were trying different things. We were trying to, I mean, there was opportunities to hit Ben Sennett down the field. There was a lot of opportunities, but they just started to bring the heat. They didn't want to have to deal with us anymore. They were just going to bring it up the middle and like you saw in the fourth quarter, Adrian Martinez makes one cut and there is nobody back there. Literally, it's just him and a safety. Safety takes the outside gap and he just cuts it up and it's gone. But I, like you said, Bob, you, you said that I had some stats for you. And I mean, if you want to hear them, I'll, I'll give them to you because it's, it's just a really a fun fact. I mean, Oklahoma, we and that was the best game. I mean, consensusly, everybody's going to say that we played all season. I mean, Oklahoma, we had 12 possessions. Five of them were – five of them, the 12 possessions were punts. Four of those punts were three and outs, and that's gross. But if you look at Texas Tech, we had 14 possessions, five of them being punts, and four of them were three and outs. So, I mean, it's basically even with more possessions. So – if you just condense it, it just makes it look a lot choppier, a lot worse than it really is. So if you can just be more consistent with sustaining drives. And if tech, if you look at Texas Tech, I mean, we scored, what, twice on two plays or less? I mean, or three plays or less? I mean, it's just explosion, and it makes it look a lot better. So I'm not too concerned about the offense. It's just we – I would like to see us sustain some drives and maybe not have the defense just go out there because if we're scoring so fast and also turning it over fast with three and outs, it makes the defense a lot more tired. And I think we could either talk about the defense or just, just go to a different thing because I mean, really game flow is something you can't control necessarily unless you're in a rhythm on offense. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think that was that was one of my biggest concerns. And it led to kind of that, I guess people have been saying this week, kind of the bend but don't break mentality that our defense had in the game. We really had to have that because they were out on the field the whole freaking game. Because when you have Adrian Martinez busting out a run for for 69 yards, you know, he and Deuce both had 69 yard runs, which was a very nice, uh, very nice way to go about scoring those home runs there. But 
Nice. It doesn't leave a whole lot of time for the defense to get back, catch their breath and, and, you know, hydrate, drink water, you know, stay loose, things like that. So I, I don't know. I just, I'm, my concerns moving forward are with offensive line depth. I think that's obviously going to be improving once we do get line gang back. And I think KT Lev also got some good news in that he's probably going to be coming back this week. So I feel a lot better about offensive line depth, uh, knowing that things are, things are looking up on that front from an injury per injury perspective. But the other thing is with defense moving forward, I am a little scared that if we have these home run shots, the defense is going to get tired as long as they can have that stamina and, Ben, but don't break. I do feel like this team is is set up for success moving forward. I guess defensively, real quick, just some numbers. Kobe Savage did lead the day with nine total tackles. Uh, it was awesome having his dad on on Bosco's boys just now as well. Uh, and he might have also gotten some digits in that game from a Texas Tech cheerleader. So watch out for the Raider rash. That's all I've got to tell you, uh, Kobe. Um, but what, he had a very impressive performance. So did Austin Moore. Austin Moore, I think, is probably the biggest surprise that I've had all season on defense because he's just he's constantly flying around. He's constantly out there. I love seeing what he's been doing on on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, and then Khalid Duke, Felix, Kobe, Josh Hayes, they all had tackles for a loss. And then Felix and Khalid combined for six total sacks and got some Big 12 honors and some national honors as well from, I think, the Sugar Bowl uh, gave Felix gave Felix and Khalid an honor. So it was, it was very cool to see those, those, those honors and recognitions get, get rained on the defense there. Uh, but let's, let's talk a little bit more about the defense. What were y'all's thoughts? It was a fairly impressive performance. Granted, they, they got a garbage time touchdown to, to bring the score total up to 28 for, for Texas tech. But aside from the garbage time touchdown, a, a pretty lockdown performance. What do y'all think? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think from a defensive perspective, if you look at it holistically and you look at the number of yards that we gave up and, um, you know, just some of the situations that the defense was in this past game, you wouldn't necessarily think it was a great performance. But, you know, Chris Kleiman said it said it um, earlier this week that the takeaways are the key indicator here. You can give up 400 yards in a game, but if you're up on the turnover margin by three, four against the other team, that is a winning formula on defense. Um, you can withstand the number of yards that you're giving up and the number of, you know, chunk plays that you're giving up. If you're getting, you know, you're recovering a fumble, getting an interception, et cetera. Um, Felix and Khalid Duke together. This is exactly how I pictured them together. If you thought last year after Khalid Duke got hurt, this is what I expected to see with both of them together. Um, the Khalid do playing the way that he is playing right now lifts this defense up into that. I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to say the elite category, but you know, he's such a talented player. He really is. And, and ever since he's gotten to K state and, you know, being able to just be another option on the other side of Felix is going to be really tough for an, an opposing team to try and manage. Um, and then you bring in Eli Huggins into the fold and Jalen Pickle into the fold. You know, this is the defensive line that we expected this team to be this season. And we were able to see that, you know, against Donovan Smith, who really did have an exceptional performance last week throwing the football, he got a lot of opportunities to at least, um, you know, make some plays. But 
we got him a little bit uncomfortable and, you know, he ended up, you know, <laughs> getting in positions where our defense could get a turnover. So um, I was very happy with how the defense played last week. I, I'm going to echo the same things that you just said, Matt. They, they played a game where they were, they weren't, under pressure but just like bob said earlier they were out there for so many snaps and not necessarily how many snaps because i think it was 82 is how many texas tech ran that's not necessarily a ton but when you're the turnaround is so quick you're it seems like a lot more but we you you brought up the scheme and bringing Khalid Duke from different spots and having him one-on-one, giving Felix an opportunity to have one-on-ones finally. But we rotated so many guys. You saw guys like Gavin Forsha out there, true freshman uh, Parrish playing corner for long stretches of the game. Uh, Perry playing the back, not Perry, but uh, uh, what is the safeties? What is that freshman safety's name? I'm having a blank right now. Uh, but he he's playing long VJ stretches. Payne? Yeah, VJ Payne. He's playing long stretches in the back end, and you're seeing different rotations like Uso playing nose, getting pressure up the middle. I mean, he, if if he's able to go, you just you're feeling so much better at that nose guard position, especially because Eli Hungads took a, a shot to the head. He was out for a little bit of the game. Uh, Robert Hintz, he got a fumble recovery. He's playing solid. You're just seeing a whole lot of guys play positions and getting into the game, which is crucial for our defense because we are such a big rotating team. It keeps our guys fresh and helps us sustain because with our offense being so explosive and not ne- or or bang or bust, we might have a three and out. We've got to go right back out there. It's it's good to see these guys, and I think our defense played admirably. And this is the second week in a row where a team is down multiple possessions late in the fourth quarter, and they're having to put some drives together. And it's kind of we're playing in that laid back prevent style where we're giving up yards. I mean, if you don't if you take those garbage time points and yards out, I mean, we're looking scrappy and solid. I think the last thing I'll mention on defense is last week, one of the biggest topics of conversation or, or one of the many topics of conversation was Texas Tech's fourth down efficiency and third down efficiency in that game that they had against Texas. And they went for it, I think, eight or nine times and, and converted most of those in our game. They only went for it on fourth down three times and they only converted one of those. That that I think is is a bit of the tail of the tape there. And then the other thing is winning the turnover battle. We we got four takeaways uh, with turnovers uh, to their one and on kind of a fluky play from from Deuce. But uh, at the end of the day, I, I felt really solid with how the defense how the defense kind of left it all out there on the field and, and did whatever they could to to win that game, regardless of the amount of yards you're you're giving up, the amount of completions you're giving up. They really did did win that game. And if you think about it, like you said, with the fourth fourth down and third down um, stats that we put out there against a very aggressive Texas Tech, if you stop a team on fourth down, that is a turnover on downs. You can I always credit those as a turnover. If you're especially if a team's doing it on their side of the 50, that is a huge play, a huge turn in momentum. I count that as a turnover 
because it's literally in the name turnover on downs and we can bring that all the way back to ourselves. We went for it five times versus Tulane and only got one of them. That's like four turnovers. That's insane. And you lose games when you don't pick those up. So I, 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 I'm hearing exactly what you're saying, Bob. And, and the last thing that I'll mention in, in the tech review here, and, and I'll let you, you get your shots in either of you as well. Uh, special teams, Chris Tennant was three for three. He was perfect on extra points as well. Four for four. Uh, Ty Zentner is averaging 43.8 yards per punt. Malik had another, you know, 20 yard kick return. What notes do you have on, on special teams? And I think maybe, maybe we can also pivot to look at this turnaround that Chris Tennant has had. Those first two games were, atrocious it was it was very difficult to watch it felt almost like we should just go for it every single opportunity we got on fourth down and and now I have confidence in him he has confidence in himself the team has confidence in him and the fans aren't freaking out every time he goes up there to kick so so maybe we can talk a little bit about that but uh, what notes do you both have on special teams before we pivot over to Jake well, I think Chris Tennant, I mean, he has had a massive improvement here um, in the big, from the beginning of the season. And and that's great because if you anticipate this team going somewhere um, at the end of the season, we're going to be in games where we need his confident leg to be able to get three points. We need that. Um, and so obviously this past game, you know, was huge and, and getting us 13 points and um, you know, it is really great to see just him being able to make some of these kicks and, and, you know, being confident in it. Um, also from a special teams perspective, I mean, we can look at the way that Ty Zentner has been playing from the punter position and he's been at, you know, doing a wonderful job, you know, something that I do think is going to be a, a little bit of what I would say we need to improve a little bit more on, um, is getting Malik Knowles a little bit more um, from the kick return. Um, it's not necessarily his fault. You know, if you think about it, it's, you know, the entire team on the field that has to come together, you know, get a good blocking scheme together. So Malik can get some open space. We haven't really seen that. Um, and, you know, just having a little bit of that ability to flip the field um, from a kick return position and even Philip Brooks from the punt, um, the punt returner role, um, having an opportunity to get 20, 25, 30 yards um, would be really huge. Um, so we're going to need a little bit more, um, I, I would say, out of the returning areas here in the next few games. And I'll I'll continue to go harp on the special teams. Like Matt said, I mean, getting the opportunity, whether it's setting the wall for Phillip Brooks, because he was damn close in that Texas Tech game, whether it's just one more block, he might have been able to turn the corner on that one punt return that he had. And Malik Knowles, it's kind of a weapon in itself, forcing teams to either have to absolutely nail it to get it out the back of the end zone where he doesn't have a chance, or they're getting a little nervous and squibbing it out of bounds, which is giving us good field position either way. But I'm going to also say this about the punt returns. We're setting ourselves up for a chance at a big block like we saw in that first, first game versus South Dakota. And this might be the week to do it. Um, Iowa State has their woes with special teams. It's kind of a, a known thing, but I think we're going to be a little bit more aggressive, especially on the road 
trying to go after punts, not necessarily setting up walls for Phillip Brooks this week. Could not agree more. I, I would love to see a home run hit by Malik on on one of these kick returns here this weekend. That would that would be a nice thing to see. All right. Well, that does it for our tech review. Big win, 37-28. Cats are, are four and one, baby. So we're we're headed down to Ames this weekend. And we have one of the insiders. Jake Brand is joining us from Des Moines, uh, what, the the Five News Channel, ABC affiliate there. You're our first Big J journalist. So uh, tell us a little bit more about yourself, your your D3 NIL deal that you have from Simpson College Men's Tennis uh, and some of the work that you do out there in Iowa. Yeah, it's, <clears throat> excuse me, it's good to be here. Uh, so first off, you're coming up to Ames, not down basic geography i mean you're right uh, you're right i'm in colorado so it gets a little skewed for me okay gotcha uh yeah so i i'm a weekend sports anchor and reporter up at uh we are iowa five in des moines uh formerly spent about five years at wide right natty light still hang out in the group chat so i get uh <laughs> i get all my overreactions in in that group chat, but, um, lifelong cyclone fan. And now I get to cover them in a completely unbiased sense. So it things have completely changed since the summer. That's, I mean, that's incredible. Really. I mean, that's one of my favorite Iowa state podcasts, wide rat natty light. I mean, it's just hilarious. The title, I don't necessarily know what it means, but I mean, this game between, K-State and Iowa State, Farmageddon. I mean, who who doesn't love that name? And it's a newer rivalry as in like that kind of title put on it. But it, it's one of the oldest in, I mean, in college football and FBS for sure. Continuous play since 1917. Um, what does Farmageddon mean to you? And uh, what, what are some of your favorite memories when when you think back on Farmageddon? Yeah, correct me if I'm wrong. It's the second longest continuous game in college football, right? I I I, I think it's, I the, think longest it's the longest in longest. FBS. Yeah. Is it the longest now? I in, just I remember in, they, in FBS, yeah. I remember they. There's been up. some breaks amongst other teams, like early in the the turn of the century. Yep. Well, I remember they jumped up in 2020 when there's a lot of games that didn't get played between certain teams. Um. But anyways, it, it's a it's a great rivalry, and it's something that I never really grew up in it as a rivalry, and that was just because I felt like Iowa State was so bad and K-State was so good, and that it was never really one of those until Paul Rhodes got here, and then those games started to all be close, but K-State would always find ways to win. Think back to the 2012 game. K-State comes in ranked, I think, fourth with Colin Klein. And Iowa State has that game in the bag and just completely choke it away. So that's what makes 2018 the first time Iowa State won in this rivalry. Just, I mean, That was one of the best games I've ever been in um, at Jack Trice. I was covering the game in the press box for wide right. And as you know, or as you may, may not know, in press boxes, you're not allowed to cheer or do anything like that. So here I am, this 
I think I was a senior in high school. Iowa State comes back from down 17, and I can't cheer, so I run out of the press box with like five minutes left uh, to go watch the game in the stands with my family. And I lost my voice in like two minutes. I believe that was the maybe the first or second time they wore the all-black uniforms, but uh, that's definitely top of my memory. But I think the most memorable game would have been the 2017 game the year before that with the phantom picked up flags where Iowa state had won the game on uh they called a defensive pass interference. Alan Lazard, right? Against Alan Lazard. Yeah. And then Alan Lazard. That was a, that was a classic. Yeah. Then the refs and a few boosters and probably a few other people from Vegas all huddled up together and decided to pick up the flag. K-State goes down the field, scores, the rest is history. And that was, I think, the the most mad I've ever been after a college football game in my life. I would admit that was probably the one of the happiest moments that I've had in a, watching a game in a stadium. Um, but I can understand because I think that was – is a bad call. And and I but. your your comment about being in the press box resonates with me because I think one of one of my loudest moments I experienced at at Bill Snyder Family Stadium was in 2011 against Baylor and RG3 RG3 threw that pick to Arthur Brown and I'm I'm an intern unpaid for the sports information department handing out stats to Kellis Robinette and some of these guys at at halftime and, and then that thing happens. It was just, it was one of the loudest moments while I'm just quietly sobbing because I'm not able to actually enjoy the experience. So I quickly uh, quit my internship and, and joined <laughs> the student section, which was a great decision for me as a freshman at the time. Yeah, it's a whole different experience and it's, it's cool to watch it from the press box is a different atmosphere. Um, but that year I did it, I was happy to be back in the stands the next year. Yeah, for sure. I can understand that. Um, well, Jake, I want to kind of get into some of the X's and O's for Iowa State. Um, you know, for a lot of us, we always keep track of, you know, Big 12 teams and um, Iowa State, since you're all so close, you know, we, we pay attention a good amount. But uh, so two and two. Um consecutive losses, one to a Baylor squad who was ranked and, um, you know, has, you know, was looked at to be one of the top contenders in the conference this year. And then um, the KU game last week, uh, which was definitely a a defensive uh, struggle for both teams. Um, So I guess, you know, some of the questions that I have, um, you know, thinking about the two and two start this season and, you know, how the offense, you know, has been, um, what would you say is your temperature check on this team so far this season? You know, how would you rate your offense, your defensive size of the ball um, coming out of week five? So actually three and two, if you count the win over Southeast Missouri, yes, which my bad is completely understandable. <laughs> if you don't, <laughs> that team is a joke. My bad. My but, bad. Uh, no, it's been, one of the most bizarre starts to a season I think I've seen because they come out, they take care of business against Southeast Missouri state. Then they go into Kinnick and exercise a bunch of demons and beat Iowa in just the ugliest of ugly college football games. Um, it was, it, it lived up to the, uh, 
the title of El Asico. It was horrible. Um, but Iowa State got the win on a 99-yard drive, 17 plays that took like 12 minutes. And the offense on that drive looked crisp. They looked like they had an identity. Hunter Deckers looked like he was just in complete control of the of the team, looked like he was in control of the game. And I left that game feeling very, very good about Iowa State's chances to make a run in the Big 12, just with what we know we can expect from the defense, but what we also saw from the offense. Ohio, they take care of business again. And then Baylor, something just changed. The, the first half, there were a few questionable calls um, that I think changed the momentum of the game. But at the end of the day, Baylor came out and just punched Iowa State in the mouth in the second half. And Iowa State wasn't able to come back from that. And they, you can't call that a bad loss because it's against Baylor, the defending champs, a ranked team, a very good team. But it was a loss that just was unsettling. Felt like a game they very well could have had if they could have built up some momentum. And then last week, the game against Kansas was horrible. The, the offense looked bad. As I'm sure you guys know, the KU defense is horrible. One of the worst in FBS, no matter their 5-0 and start. The defense is horrible, and they made Iowa State's offense look like a high school offense. It was, it was an inept game plan from Tom Manning. There was no offensive identity. There was no downfield threat. And all of a sudden, Iowa State has gone from this team that um, – thought maybe their defense had taken a step back from last year, just losing a ton of production and their offense had taken a step forward because they got a quarterback. That's more capable of pushing the ball downfield, has a bigger arm, got some of the best weapons. And now it's flipped. The defense looked really good against Kansas and the offense looked horrible. And I'm honestly at the point where I don't know if they're going to be bowl eligible. If the offense continues to look like it has the last six quarters that they looked fine in the first half against Baylor, but from the second half of that game onto last week, the offense has looked like probably the worst in the big 12, which is really, really discouraging because the talent on that offense does not replicate that at all. And one of the, one of the main issues with offense from everything we've kind of gathered is it sounds like from everything I've heard, Hunter Deckers has a tendency to kind of ch- just check it down like 5, 10, 15 yards, and he just can't throw it along the sidelines for, for you know, anything. So what what is your, I guess, your thoughts so far on Hunter Deckers? It sounds like he's he's leveraging Xavier Hutchinson pretty pretty thoroughly, but that he's essentially kind of the only weapon. Would you agree with that? And, and what are kind of your thoughts on on the offense, I guess, to get a little bit more detailed. Yeah. So he's looked like a young quarterback. Um, he, the potential is definitely there, but there's, I'd say seven, eight times a game where he misses just a, he misses a blatantly open receiver um, for a check down. There'll be a, he might get rid of the ball a second early. And that's one second before Jalen Knoll or maybe Easton Dean, just breaks free for a route and he elects to just check down to Hutchinson for four yards or um, he's also been pretty bad at taking sacks. Uh, He's one of those guys that 
he just doesn't seem completely comfortable in the pocket yet. And that's why I think you see him prematurely checked down. And he does have one of the best receivers in the nation, Xavier Hutchinson. And he looks for him a ton. I don't know the exact number off the top of my head, but he's averaging at least 15 targets a game. So he's really reliant on getting it to Hutchinson. And I think that can be played to his disadvantage at some points, just because the defense can really focus in on Hutchinson, make him throw into tighter windows. And also just um, when you, when you're racking up guys three or four around him, it's going to be harder to break those free. So Deckers has looked good at points, but he has really regressed the last two games and he looked bad against Kansas and his decision-making is just not that crisp yet, but you got to remember he's still, this is his, this will be his sixth start this week. So I haven't completely given up hope on him yet, but if you had asked me where I thought he'd be, after the Iowa game now, I would have thought he'd be much further along in this progression. And and, ju- and we're going to keep nailing on this offense just for one more, at least for me, one more question I have. We've seen kind of a philosophy change maybe. Maybe it's the personnel. But when I thought of Iowa State under Matt Campbell, I think of giant tight ends that can catch, that can do everything, maybe a Charlie Kohler. Um, I, what was his name? Chase. Was it Chase Allen? Yep, Chase he was Allen. a monster. He was a monster. I saw a couple highlights of Easton Dean. He's a familiar name to K-State fans. He was recruited heavily by K-State, but you don't see the tight ends as involved in the offense, or am I not seeing it, or am I missing it, to be honest? what what's Is the philosophy changed, or is it just all about personnel? Yeah, so I don't think the philosophy has changed much. They seem to still be running the exact same offense as last year, but the main difference is they don't have two all big 12 tight ends. Easton Dean is a, he's a solid pass catcher, not a great blocker. And then Deshaun Hanica, um, out of, I believe Butler community college in Kansas, actually he's been okay. He looked good against Ohio, but again, that's Ohio but the tight ends are just nowhere near the level that Kohler and Chase Allen were. I I believe that Kohler was first team all big 12 last year and Allen was second team. So Iowa state had the two best tight ends in the conference. And now they don't have two of the 10 best. So I I think that the naturally the, the balls shifted away from going to the tight ends, which has really hurt. Iowa State, especially in the red zone, that's where that's where Kohler and Allen were their biggest, where they were just red zone targets. They could go stand in the back of the end zone, and if nothing else, Purdy could just throw a jump ball up to him and and rely on Kohler to make that play seven out of ten times. And they they don't have that option right now, and I think that's really hurting the red zone offense. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. And and speaking of, you know, just specific players and, and thinking about, you know, who we should be looking out for, I, I guess part of part of what we're getting to here is we're almost halfway through the season before most teams have had their bye weeks. So the injury bug is becoming a, a concern for a lot of teams. You know, K-State with our offensive line, we've seen it ourselves. 
from from Iowa State's perspective, how healthy are you right now? And, and in particular, Jarrell Brock is someone that seems pretty integral to the rushing attack. Do you, what is his outlook for this weekend, and, and what is the outlook injury-wise for the rest of the team headed into this matchup? Yeah, I'd say relatively the team's pretty healthy. I mean, obviously no college football team's ever going to be 100% healthy, but I would consider Jairo Brock doubtful for Saturday, which is a gigantic hit not only to Iowa State's rushing attack, but also their passing attack because he's one of the best, if not the best, pass blocking running back in all of college football. And you could really tell if you go back and watch film against Kansas that that was missed. But the the injury to Brock is really detrimental as he's not, he's not Brees Hall. He's not David Montgomery, but he can be about 80% of what those guys were. And that's really solid production. He runs hard. And again, he's a, he's a good pass blocker. So not having him, and then also their backup didn't play against Kansas either. So they were down to third and fourth string running backs. And they, t- to be frank, looked like fourth and third string running backs. So if neither Gyro Brock or Cartavius Norton play on Saturday, I really do not like Iowa State's chances at all. I know from the K-State perspective, one of our main keys to victory is is keeping Xavier Hutchinson in check. Um, you know, a, a dynamic pass catcher for the Cyclones. What about from the Iowa State perspective, what would you say is a major key to victory um, for the Cyclones, you know, if they can try or, you know, they can try and win on Saturday? I would just say it's that red zone offense. Um Iowa State hasn't really struggled to move the ball this year, but they've struggled to capitalize in the end zone. Against Iowa, they had two turnovers within the 10-yard line. Can't do that. Kansas, they had three missed field goals. Um, Baylor, I believe they had maybe another turnover in the red zone. So, I... I'm confident Iowa State will have scoring chances, but if they can't capitalize on them, there's no way they can win. I, I'm pretty confident in the defense at this point. John Haycock is one of the best defensive coordinators in the entire country. So I'm pretty confident that they should hold K-State to that 17 to 21 point range. But if Iowa State can't can't score, it's not going to matter. So it's just kind of a matter of, again, yeah, if, if K-State can keep Hutchinson in check, um, Hutchinson's going to get his 13 catches for 100 yards. That's a guarantee. But it's a matter of if he can get 15 for 150, that's a lot different. So Hutchinson's going to catch the ball a lot. But if if you're holding him to nine yards of reception opposed to 15, that'll be the difference. And also... I think just the special teams, it's it's pitiful at how bad Iowa State special teams are. Their freshman kicker missed three kicks against KU last week, one as time expired. Uh, they've had they had two punts blocked against Iowa, they've had a couple kicks out of bounds. So if I, I know K State plays that style of football where they rely on their special teams not making mistakes, which they've been very good at. I 
distinctively remember going down to Manhattan in 2019, I want to say, and uh, um, K-State housed the opening kickoff. If anything like that happens to just push the momentum the other way, Kansas State will certainly win the game. Well, I I like that. I don't want to get your score protection, prediction just yet. I got a, uh, maybe one more question from me, but I, it, it's all really based around the recruiting and Matt Campbell. He seems like he's been there 100 years. I know we're kind of in midseason, so we're only really talking about what's on the field. But um, Kansas State and the Cyclones, they always seem to be battling on the recruiting grounds for players and you're too deep at Iowa state is littered with players that I recognize from the past four or five years in the recruiting trail. How, how's it going with uh, the recruiting and what's it going like off the field with the coaching staff to bring in more players? Yeah, I think the, the recruiting has been phenomenal year after year. Campbell brings in the best recruiting class in school history. So it continues to get better. In the 2023 class, in general, they have, uh, I want to say, three of the five best players in the state, which is massive to, to take those players from Iowa. Iowa's still got the five-star, but the tide has definitely shifted a little bit. And the, the point where I've gotten with the recruiting is I've stopped paying attention to the rankings because I just trust – the players that Campbell brings in the under Campbell, the, the issues never been the personnel it's it's been shooting themselves in the foot in those one score games. It's been the special teams. It's been maybe Purdy or Decker is making a wrong read. The offensive coordinator getting too cute in the red zone. But I, I think the, the recruiting's getting better. Um, but there there comes a point in Iowa State where it can't get that much better, if that makes any sense. Oh, I live we live that life as Kansas State, brother. We know there's there's limitation to, to these ag schools out in the Midwest. Yep, yep. And that, that's just how it's gonna be, especially with the with the new Big Twelve, the hateful eight. Um but that's I think that's what makes it that that's what makes this game what it is. That's what we love about the farm again. It's not these five-star recruits that everybody wanted. It's, it's guys like Easton Dean that, that Iowa state and K-State fought over. It's guys like Hunter Deckers. Noel, Noel, Hunter Deckers. I mean, yeah. it's just endless. Amount it's that five-star culture, baby, that five-star yeah, five, culture, that five gray stars, baby, the gray stars. That's what we want. Oh yeah. Yeah. The, the gray shirts that, get upgraded to a red shirt and then all of a sudden they're starting. It's, I mean, that's, that's Midwest football right there. And it's blue collar. You got Chris Kleiman from North Dakota state. He's beaten Iowa state before as a, as a bison. It's just, it's a different style of football and it's, that's what makes it beautiful as ugly as it might be to the coastal elites. eye. I'm going to pref, I'm going to preface with this. So I'm, going to Ames this weekend, my first time. Um, and y'all are pulling out the black uniforms for the night game. Um, I, we see these uniforms all the time um, in the big games for Iowa State. Um, as an Iowa State fan, you know, 
seeing the all black uniforms, you know, what do they mean to you? And, you know, do you think the, those types of uniforms, do you think they impact the environment at Jack Trice um, for those big games? Yeah. So I love them. I, so they haven't worn them yet this year and they haven't officially announced them as the uniforms for Saturday. They don't do that typically until Friday. Um, I was kind of of the hope and belief and the want that after the Purdy, Brees Hall, Kohler, Mike Rose era, that they might switch them up a little bit and that would be add some cardinal and gold on them, maybe some tint around the numbers, whatever whatever it be. So um, I love them. I do just wish there was some school color on them and I wish they would limit them to two games a season most. Uh, I just think there comes a point where they get overdone to where, as you say, at the, at the start, when they started to wear them, I, the black uniform was an automatic win. It was, it meant like, this is a must win game. This is going to take the atmosphere from a nine to a 10. And now it's gotten to the point where you just get so used to them that it doesn't have that same effect. I think it will have that effect on Saturday, it being a rivalry game and a night game. But the I like them for that reason, then also recruits like them. When guys take visits to Iowa State, they all post pictures in the black uniforms. And that's where I think they hold the most impact. If these young 17, 18, 19-year-old kids want to wear them, that's more important than what me or the 75-year-old booster screaming at the lawn thinks. And that I think that goes throughout college football. You can say that it goes against tradition or history, but for being honest, Iowa State doesn't have tradition or history. Matt Campbell is the <laughs> is the tradition of Iowa State football. And if Matt Campbell says we're doing black uniforms, I'm gonna say, all right, it's all you coach. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, recruits eat that shit up. They absolutely love at, at K State at least being able to take pictures with white helmets and and white pants and stuff like that, and throwing on those alternates. And on the basketball side, it, it kind of reminds me of our big game grays that we used to have in basketball, where on the big game days we'd bust those out, and and it kind of did get to a point where, at least from my own personal perspective, it felt like we were busting them out more often than not, and and it gets to a point where. If every game is a big game, then no game is a big game. So so it loses its allure a little bit. So I understand that from your perspective of of let's reserve the the black unis for for big moments and and things like that, big rivalries. Uh, to that end, let's you know hit us with your score prediction and and we'll we'll go ahead and send you off. But let the people out there know where we can find you, find your work, uh, and then hit us with that score prediction. Yeah, so you can follow me on Twitter at JakeBrendTV, B-R-E-N-D. That's where I'm most active. Uh, catch all my content on We Are Iowa Local 5. If you're ever up in Des Moines, turn on Channel 5. Um, and then again, check out my friends at Wide Right Natty Light for your best Iowa State content. Not a contributor anymore, but they're still all my best friends. And it's where the roots are, so got to plug them too. Um, I'll be at the game this Saturday covering it. Uh, gonna get, get to tailgate with my family, which will be just awesome. So if you want to pop by, just send me a text. Uh, we'll show you around 
old Ames, Iowa. But uh, my score prediction, I'm going to go K-State 21, Iowa State 13. I just don't see how Iowa State musters up the offense after what I've seen these first two weeks during Big 12 play. And that makes it a really, really depressing Sunday for Iowa State. As much as I hate to say it, I truly hope they prove me wrong. But what I've seen from K-State in every game but the Tulane game this year, I think they're the real deal. And I think that this has been Kleiman's vision coming to fruition this year. I'm Other than that Tulane game, I don't know what happened. I watched it, but I, I bet on K-State to beat OU. They did. They looked good against Texas Tech, even though it was a battle. I just think this is the year where K-State breaks that streak of the <laughs> aggregate score of the last three years, 105 to 37. I just I don't think Iowa State has confidence in its offense right now to get the job done. You know, we have some some one and two year starters who they've never beaten Iowa State. So so this is going to be a big game and an important game for them. And I think they're going to bring the heat. Uh, Chef, do you want to go ahead and hit us with your prediction? Jake, we, we very much appreciate you coming on. Uh, if you're going up to Ames, shoot him a DM and uh, and stop by his family's tailgate if you're listening. Uh, hopefully that's not too open of an invite. But uh, but we love Farmageddon here and, and we appreciate it having you. Yeah, yeah thanks absolutely. For thanks, on. Jake. It's a fun rivalry to be a part of. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. The premier rivalry of the new Big 12. This is the big the big rivalry. Get them out of here. Get oh, Sooners yeah. out of here. Get them Longhorns out of here. Thanks, Jake. Yeah, thanks, guys. Take care. All right, Chef. Yeah. What do you Bobby, what do you have for this one? My boy. Let's think about this for a second. We've got <laughs> Iowa State. Their defense, I mean, from all intents and purposes, we've seen them. They've they've played really well. Baylor, they've been known to score some points this season. They've been they've been playing good. I mean, they're three and two too, so they're kind of on thin ice too. But Iowa State, they held their end of the bargain defensively. I think that's just the culture of Iowa State under Matt Campbell. They're going to have pretty good defenses. Their offense absolute ass special teams trash um i'm not going to sleep on hunter deckers um throwing the ball around the the yard so i'm gonna go 35 cats 24 clones and i think it's all gonna be rushing again i think just like texas tech last week they were they were boasting that their tech their run defense was so daunting that their their run defense was holding teams to 99 yards rushing we can shut down the cats make them pass yada yada fucking yada 400 yards rushing on texas tech's ass we're gonna do the same thing to the clones all rushing touchdowns four from deuce one from adrian and then you know that's my i'm gonna let you guys get on that score prediction but that's going to vault Deuce back into that Heisman run. That'll put him at seven rushing touchdowns on a season. Depending on how bad of a whooping he puts on Iowa State, he might be closing in on 1,000 yards rushing already. Think about that shit. I would love that. Man, damn. Um, 
Well, as I said before, I'm going to the game this weekend in Ames, and typically whenever I attend an away game, the game is inevitably too close for comfort for me in the stadium. So um, my prediction is going to be a 27-24 Cats squeaker um, and scoring a touchdown late in the fourth quarter to get the victory. I, of course, hope it's 57-0 to zero, so I don't have to worry about it, but I'm sorry to everybody that I am going to the game, which means the game's probably going to be close. I don't I don't like the the curse there of, of Fireball Matt. Don't talk it into existence, man. Just good vibes only. That's I'm, what you gotta believe in. I'm in agreement. I'm I'm on the uh for my prediction, I'm on the cats train. I've got 31 20 cats. I just think if we score 30 points, we continue this trend of scoring 30 or more points. We've won every single game where we scored 30 or more. So I'm going to continue down that train. Can I? We basically I mean, like the Chiefs, yeah. right? I'm going to just yeah, since Mahomes yeah, has been there. <laughs> I'm going to just say one more thing. So my key to victory is Matt will have two fireball shots before the game, and that key to victory is undefeated this season. Woo! Fireball, 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 far too many predictions at this point but eventually i mean i don't remember them but eventually one of them has to hit kind of like my betting life right um so i think initially earlier this week on twitter i predicted a close game with some random iowa state person that the one i've actually ran into because i feel like i haven't had enough iowa state mentions this week which has been super disappointing they've all seemed very quiet um, and then on Bosco Boys, I think I just predicted like 34 13. Um, I'm going to stick with that 34 13 prediction. I think Iowa State, you know, I just think, you know, I don't know. I just feel like our guys on the team are jacked up, ready to go and get a dub. And they just think there's that senior leadership, there's that team morale not morale i guess you could say but i feel like you know like like everyone's always said they're bought in so i think they're they're ready for a little revenge game they're ready to get to work and come out with the victory so i'm gonna stick at that 34 13 with iowa state with a late garbage time touchdown cole the thing that you have to keep in mind here though is that this iowa state team their goal is to have the greatest together team of all time (laughs) so i don't know if we're going to be able to overcome that or surpass that that was good. I, Something I, to keep in mind. Oh, man, that was real good. Thank you. I mean, I already brought up five-star culture earlier. I meant to make a joke about the press box when Jake was talking about the press box. Neither of those things happen. Nick, I think you still might have a little bit of an echo going on, but go ahead and hit us with your prediction. Give me a second. Go ahead. How about 45, 17 cats? That's it. I like 45, 17. I'll take God. Damn, if we're coasting, if Nick is predicting us to coast into a victory at the end of the game, dude, that will make me my heart so happy. 
Can you imagine Saturday night? You're with, you're in the crib, you're chilling. Matt's getting absolutely wasted in Ames, Iowa, and we're cruising. We've got backups in if it's 45 to 17. You know, we've got backups in. I completely forgot to ask if they sold alcohol in the stadium. They don't. They don't. They don't. They They are one of two. They are one of two. (laughs) Us and Iowa State, and it's going to be three when we have BYU. Of course. It's like the most, I don't know. It's just, there are probably still dry counties in Iowa too, for whatever it's worth. But yeah, I mean, that, that's our predictions. I guess this, this is a good segue into uh, Bob's locks. I mean, Bob's last week, locks. last week uh, was it hit or miss. Uh, it was a lot of misses and only two hits. So I, I apologize if any of you actually decided to take my recommendation there. Uh, the two hits were Tulane did cover plus two and a half, and the Cats took the money line. That one hit. We missed on OU to cover by a long shot. Holy shit, that game was a blowout on TCU's part. Iowa State money line, that one obviously did not come to fruition as well. And then Mississippi State and A&M. I took A&M to cover uh, that one, I, obviously a miss as well. I tried to tell you that Mississippi State, man. I tried man, to tell you. You tried. You tried. Uh, I did not listen. I did not listen. But that brings me to this week. So we've got a little bit more of a mixed bag here. I'm, I'm mixing in a couple a couple more games. So my first one is, based off of their performance last week, I feel good about Mizzou going in against Florida and covering a 10.5-point spread based on what they did against Georgia last week. So I'm taking MIZ plus 10.5 to cover. Dang. Next, I have Tech at Okie State in the Red Dirt Rivalry or whatever the hell Gambling Gauchos is trying to get that thing called. I saw the Dust Bowl earlier. Those are two great names. I've got Okie State minus nine and a half to cover. I do think, even though this is a pretty evenly matched series all time, I do think Okie State's got just, I mean, they've, they've proven that they are the front runner for the Big 12 this year, I think by all accounts. So I'm, is I'm their going series with, with only Okie off State. by one? Is their series literally off by one or is it? Tied? I think it's off by one or it's tied. It's, it's Ooh. like tied 25, 25 with a tie. It's, it's something insane. It, yeah. it was very surprising. I, I was shocked when I saw that too. I was like, this, this series is a lot tighter and it had to be up. It had to be Texas tech up recently because it seems like Okie state's been the more dominant team the past few seasons. Yeah. Which is kind of crazy. So maybe it goes back to, the you know covered wagon days when people weren't really paying attention to statistics and teams were winning games seven to two every week but uh, yeah i've got okie state to cover minus nine and a half is what i got it at on FanDuel. um my next game is the one we've all been waiting for the one that we've been previewing this entire this entire live show so far it's k-state at iowa state I have the cats covering the two and a half point spread. Obviously my score prediction was 31 to 20. I may look into some alternate lines for that. Potentially Um, I'm feeling pretty good about the cats headed into the matchup this weekend. And then my final matchup is BYU, the future conference uh, conference friends, I suppose friends slash foes going up against Notre Dame in sin city. They're playing in Vegas, which there's a, 
you know, surprisingly a lot of Mormons that live in Vegas, but I've got BYU plus three and a half. They're dogs in this matchup to cover. I know chef, you probably have some thoughts on this, but, but I feel like this is a no brainer for me, but I might be an idiot. I don't know. BYU's only got one loss on the season. Uh, but you know, they've been playing like absolute dog shit recently. And Notre Dame, after falling to Marshall, you can't be mad at them for losing to Ohio State the way they did. I think it was a letdown game. I was I was in Manhattan when in a bar watching – actually, I was in Manhattan Brewing Company watching Marshall watching pick six them. Marshall with Nick. Six them. I was with Nick. With yeah, Nick. Uh, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. it was I, – I think Notre Dame is on the up and up, and I think – BYU is going to be, I think they're going to lose this one. And that's okay. Um, At the end of the day, you can take this parlay or you cannot take this parlay. I have zero, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to take my advice. Nobody, but they are Bob's locks. I'm going to throw this in a parlay. They are Bob's locks. I take this in a parlay. It's like, I don't know, 25 to win like 380 something. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, The last topic that we have for tonight is chef bring in just an, a, a total doozy it always sparks debate on twitter on the boards john kurtz is a is a huge huge proponent of one of these over the other and if i'm not mistaken uh one of these guys is also on the iowa state staff right now as we speak yuck oh shit i know what this is we're talking yeah you do versus sam's baby who do you got? Who should have been the king? End of discussion. Jake from State Farm. God, really? Is I mean, that, do you want to do you want to provide some evidence, some backing? I mean, I I can carry on for Nick. Honestly, I'm like me and good buddy Winters went to a ton of games during that era together, and uh, we were Daniel Sam's biggest fans back in the day well up there obviously there's been some huge Daniel Sam's fans including Kurtz um and we would <laughs> this is just a silly stupid joke we would always call uh Jake Jake Waters is his name correct correct we, 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 we would always call him Jack Walters just to be dumb because <laughs> we were college kids um anyway but looking back now, it's just it's just a oh, hard debate because you end up seeing what happened and seeing the numbers that Jake Wal- Jake Waters put up compared to like you know we never really got to see a full season of Daniel Sams you know we never got to see what could have been I guess truly from you know what the glimpses we did see like we saw the glimpses we saw how fun it was in those few glimpses. But it just sucks we never got to see the full Daniel Sam's experience. Okay. I was actually just talking to somebody about this a little bit earlier today, and and he made a really good point. Jake Waters, I feel like, is one of the most underappreciated K-State quarterbacks we've had. Uh, His arm talent was off the charts. I mean, I really feel that way. If he was two inches taller – he probably would have gotten drafted, right? I mean, he, I agree. Like, I he, I thought he was gonna get drafted. I mean, I mean, I'm sorry for interrupting. I just say I agree because like he 
he threw it around the fucking yard. He he had just such a great arm. He was accurate and he could throw it down the field and just just easily. Um, and so I I'm Team Waters only because I do feel like his accomplishments in a two year time frame. You take the one the first season kind of where he was swapping off with Daniel Sams, but the season, the 2014 season where he had that full season to really make things happen. He was such a leader for this offense. And it really, I I do think he is an extremely underappreciated player from K-State. And as somebody, sorry, Cole. Yeah, no, go ahead. As somebody, as somebody who is very appreciative of that 2014 season and what Jake Waters has done and the talent he has coming out as the number one Juco quarterback. I was extremely excited. He could have went to Penn state who knows what it would have been, but you know what, as somebody who also really, really appreciated Daniel Sams, imagine what Jake Waters could have done if we would have wrapped the offense around him 2014, he's literally running the same offense where he's taking quarterback dives up the middle, throwing his shoulder out versus Oklahoma because what Daniel Sams should have been doing. Daniel Sams was built to run that offense. We never got to see his potential, his full potential throwing the ball because he was just so hamstrung by Bill Snyder. If Bill Snyder would have put the trust in him that he put in Jake Waters throwing the ball, well, we know all the, the, the shit that you had to deal with when you had to practice with Snyder, you had to be perfect all the times. And Jake was throwing the ball. He was incredible, but he could never flourish the way he could have. If he, if we ran an air raid offense, but we didn't, we ran quarterback power 50% of the fucking time still with Jake waters in there. If Daniel Sams was allowed to throw the ball, consistently the way Jake Waters was, he could have bodied the quarterback power game. And I think we would have been successful and even more success successful than we were in 2014 going, was it the Buffalo wild wings bowl? Is that what we're, yes, sir. is that what we're hanging our hat on Jake Waters most successful season? Come on. If, if we wouldn't have been trying to trot out Jake Waters out there with a blown out AC joint in his shoulder because we're running quarterback power instead of letting Daniel Sams, a freaking stud, run the ball, we would have, who God knows how many games we would have won. Well, oh, wait, so no. So 2014 was, was UCLA. That was the Alamo Bowl. Was 2013 Alamo Bowl. Was, was the Buffalo Wild Wings. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Alamo Bowl, Schmalamo Bowl. We could have fucking won the Natic for God's sakes. Oh, if we beat Auburn, you know. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Who threw who threw yeah, the that picks was... in that game? Yo, who who dropped an uh, easy touchdown in the end zone that game? Daniel Sams would have put it on his chest. <laughs> and he would have actually <laughs> that and, was off his and chest. And for God's sakes, he would have ran the ball and we were on the three yard line. <laughs> oh, now I'm having memories of 2014 and going to the going to the Alamo Bowl and being on the river walk and stealing a bunch of shit from a bunch of places. That was just, that was a a very crazy trip. And one of the most miserable game watching experiences I have ever had at a K-State game. Wait, a real quick question. 
So just make sure I'm getting my seasons and bowl games right here. The Alamo Bowl is a game where we're getting just like slaughtered at halftime by UCLA, right? And then we came right. back and made it just way closer than it should have been. Right. Okay. I kind of remember watching that game a little bit. That was not That was not fun. It was yeah, they were no, it was more than that. It was thirty one to six. We were down twenty five at the half. That's insane. It was thirty one to six. I admit I don't know. And we held them to three points. (laughs) We held them to three points in the third quarter and six points in the fourth. It was a forty to thirty five final. Did we ever leave? We met a really nice lady. No. No, we didn't. We met a really what was nice the question, Cole? T- Matt, you oh, he asked imagine, if he if, led. imagine if Daniel Sams was running that offense. God, I mean, yeah, I'm not. I'm, can, I'm never gonna. I'm never gonna let what Bill Snyder did to Daniel Sams go. You know, here's here's a couple really good Daniel Sams moments that I do remember. Um, so obviously the high stepping. Really, I love the swag that he provided on the field. I mean, he had so much speed, and then he would do that high step and, like, get the defender off guard and get all those extra yards. Um, But there were a couple games that I remember. The Baylor game that we played that year in 2013, Baylor was, like, top 10. I'm pretty sure Bryce Petty was the quarterback. That was the last game of the year, right? For To see who went to – see who – wasn't that the last game of the year? Uh, Baylor, wait, the last game. No, no, it was, I'm thinking no, it was like October. Sorry. Yeah. Um. So we had a lead in the fourth quarter in that game, and a lot of it was because of just how you know, we were just scoring against that that Baylor defense. And Daniel Sams had a really good game against that Baylor game. He was uh, pulling out spin, spin moves and all kinds of nasty shit. I mean, and you bring up the high step dead leg. I mean, with the purple spats on high socks, Daniel Sam's three, the quarter sleeve, no half sleeves. He was just absolute stud. And it's just, God, it makes me sick because I really do appreciate what Jake Waters did, but he was just not built for our offense. If we would have never had quarterback power and, had uh, who was the running back in 2014? Was it uh, Robinson? Was it Charles Jones? Charles, oh, Jesus Christ! And half no, the time, no, John Hubert lied. No, I Hubert lied. was 2013. Oh yeah, Charles Jones. Hub- Charles Jones. Charles Jones, and I think like Demarcus Robinson were like, and 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 because we ran. Uh, freaking Jake Waters on quarterback power so much, and he busted his shoulders up. We freaking had Charles Jones running wildcat quarterback half of the time. Insane to me that that happened. Like it just the offense was not built for built around Jake Waters and his ability. Like if we could just run out of the eye, or then when we're ready to throw it with his incredible golden arm, get into the shotgun. But instead, we get into the shotgun delay quarterback power for three yards and he's getting dogpiled on by D tackles. It just didn't make any sense. Like, and we have an absolute monster in Daniel Sams who's built to run that offense. It just didn't make sense to me. 
I mean, I would say there were, there are definitely some personnel decisions in the Snyder 2.0 era that we could definitely say were uh, why, <laughs> head scratchers. Why did this? Why did this <laughs> oh happen? my god! <laughs> Alex Alex Delton, Skylar Thompson, that whole fiasco was another yeah. one that was just a. I mean, Thompson was objectively the better quarterback, and can you believe the, the amount of confidence that he lost through the whole Snyder? thing happening it, it was just it, it screamed the end of the Snyder era is happening it, and we have to do that's exactly about right it. I mean Absolutely. if you can run out Skylar if you almost run Skylar Thompson who is bleeds K-State almost run him out of town because of how misused and how bad you treated Skylar Thompson then you know something is it's wrong. it's incredible like he never even I mean I mean he could transfer at any point he was he just stuck it out. I mean, obviously, I think climbing coming in was a big part of that for the last couple of years. Wait, was he here for three? He was here for three climbing years, right? Yeah, he he had his. Yeah, that's yeah, crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. Man, he had such a long career. That's just kind of funny to think about now. Yeah, six total years, right? Yeah, stud because the COVID year, yeah. absolute stud. Yeah, he's he. I think was older than ninety nine percent of people on K State's campus, and that's including non traditional students, which is wild. God bless America. I mean, that's now he's yeah. making money. You can't in you, the league. You can't think of a more. I mean, there's plenty of debates around like who could have played, who should have played, but like Sam's Waters is like prime Snyder two and, like, you never had that with Snyder 1.0. He had his guy, and he stuck with him. And they always fit. Maybe, I don't know, was it was it the demo offense that kind of, like, like, put Snyder behind, like, the eight ball? Because he – demo wanted Winston to get all the touchdowns. Winston. Yeah, he, I, don't, I don't know. I just – it's – it's just so weird. So I think about happened. I think about the whole like debate and a lot of people were high on Daniel Sams in some of the scrub play in 2012. Like the Miami game, he had like two touchdowns in that fourth quarter in 2012. And you know, obviously when Colin Klein left, you know, he graduated, you're like, yeah, we got this fast quarterback who's going to come in and like lead this offense and then Jake Waters comes in and you know, it's a complete like 180 that everybody thought. And so I think that was what made this whole like decision so dynamic was we saw Daniel Sam's flash in like garbage play and you thought you knew what you were going to get out of him. And then you got Jake, the arm that just like demolished it. Yeah, I I struggle with the Waters Sam's debate because. I feel like my perspective is is tainted by the fact that I do think we had a really damn good season in 2014. And I, I, I think that Waters, the dude just showed out. He had an incredible arm and he was, to Chef's point, kind of a square peg in a round hole in the in the offense that we were running. So <laughs> I don't know. It's just one of those weird things. I don't know if I can take a position on it, but if I have to take a position on it, I'm probably going to go with Waters as much as I, I love and respect what I think Sam's could have brought to the offense, I also just don't know that, that Snyder had the confidence in him. It was another one of those weird head scratchers like we're talking about where 
he prefers the other guy and it may not make sense, but the other guy might just do better in his system for whatever, for whatever reason, because of the other guy being who he is and how he buys into the coaching philosophy that Snyder had. And, and Sam's might've been more of a wild card for him or more of a rebel when it came to that. So like, I, I don't know, I don't know what shook out. I don't know how some of the decisions were made in that locker room, but if gun to my head, I'm taking, I'm probably taking waters. I'm never not going to pick waters because of what we know happened. And I'm, I'm obviously proud of that 2014 season, but I, the, like Cole said in the, in the chat, it's the biggest, what if for me, like Daniel Sands had all the talent I've, I that was like one of the first seasons where I was like really like watching tape of like high school kids and stuff like that. And Duke could sling it. He it was never really an arm talent thing for me. It obviously, like you said, Bob, it was a a decision making process of him during games, what he would do and and would he be a turnover missing? We don't know because how many turnovers did he have? How many picks did he throw? How many fumbles did he? I know he had the the fumble at o- Oklahoma State, but other than that, what what did he do wrong? I just don't get it. He had he had three interceptions in that Okie State game. Was it three? And one against Jesus. yeah, and one <laughs> against Baylor in 2013. But outside Today? of that, I'm not seeing like I, I and I guess the K State website doesn't have. I'm not seeing any fumbles on here either for whatever it's worth. So was I, 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 I don't he know. Fumble during the Oklahoma State. That Oklahoma State game was really bad. And was that because the game we started? Yeah. Because I think like a lot of us, myself included, were like, oh, okay, like the Daniel Sands here is about to begin here and he's gonna go off. And I remember being super oh, dude. disappointed. The first the first score of the game was a 67-yard pass from Daniel Sams to Glenn Gronkowski. Exactly. I, I was at – hold on. What year was that? Wow. Hold 2013. On, was 2013. I, <laughs> I, was, I was at like a wedding shower. Where, where was I at? I was like getting ready to be married, and I'm like at my future great aunt's house, aunt by law house, like all – with cucumber sandwiches and shit like that. And it's just like watching the Oklahoma state game, just infuriating on my phone. That was the wildest. What is a cucumber sandwich? (laughs) You've never had cucumber sandwiches. Like it's like a, it's like fancy tea sandwiches cut into triangles, no crust, cucumbers on it, cream cheese. So like, wait, there's bread involved. It's not just like, yes, it's a a sandwich stuff. No, no, I no, don't, no, no. I've no. never had a – tell me about a cucumber sandwich here. <laughs> I mean, it's delicious. I mean, it's just like kind of like finger food, you hors d'oeuvres, you just have it, cream cheese. May, I mean, maybe lox are involved, you know, maybe some salmon. But, you know, it's cucumbers, bread, cream cheese. It's delicious. But it's, it's – <laughs> That sounds fantastic. We, we and we did yes uh, not on the topic of cucumber sandwiches we did have three fumbles in that game against oklahoma state we recovered, oh my god or we recovered one of them i think my whole stance argument the one time he starts he, throws, he has the worst game ever and i'm in over here defending him over 
the probably the second best passer in in K State history. <laughs> and does anybody want to put a million dollars down that that one play to Glenn Gronkowski was a pop pass? Oh, absolutely, been, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's the only I pass just, I that could... Glenn caught. I can't even remember the play, but if I pictured the play right now in my head, it's pop pass. It's pop pass with, and this is before they made like the rule changes and they didn't know what was happening. Like I bet you a million dollars. BJ Finney is like 40 yards down the field before he throws (laughs) it. (laughs) I just imagined uh, Sam's with his little like fake high step once he took the snap and like does not like a juke, but like a little hesitation. Goes to the line, and then, yeah, just simple pop pass. I mean, as soon that as probably I, went like 10 yards in the air, then ended up being 60 yards. As soon as I leave this, as soon as we leave this, I am posting that highlight onto my Twitter. I'm going everywhere. I am I am it. watching it right now. <laughs> we, are, we are at Oklahoma State. They just punted it. Oh man, here we go. I'm, I'm Who like, was the quarterback you know, for Oklahoma State that year? Was it Brandon Whedon? No, oh my God, was. I don't even know. J- Some guy, J- J.W. Walsh. Oh, we lost to no. J.W. Walsh. I didn't even know what he's doing. By the way, we had we had a lead with six minutes to go in that game in Seattle. It was twenty nine twenty three. I remember that. Oh my God. So despite the turnover issues we almost won the game that's the daniel sams what (laughs) (laughs) what an amazing memory did sams play the full game or did he get like benched or anything no well he did because waters waters had three of seven passing for 11 yards what the (laughs) sams was 15 sams was 15 of 21 for 181 yards two touchdowns three interceptions but he ran it 27 times for 134 yards. Jason was a stud. <laughs> How did he not get? I don't understand. He Jake Waters had to play because Daniel Sams needed oxygen for about. How did? Hold on, I have quarter. to. I have to see <laughs> for these seven for seven passes, seven plays. I have to see yards. these interceptions because there's no way they're bad. They're all his fault. I swear. I'm, I'm defending my guy. I, do I my just guy saw now. one that was absolutely his fault. <laughs> 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 it was like a thousand percent his fault. But I'm looking forward to uh, to watching this highlight uh, after we hop off here. Um, anybody, anybody else have some, some parting shots before we, we leave this one? in the ground and and focus our attentions on on Ames this weekend. We're not thinking corn, about Go ahead, Cole. Just corn down. Fuck Iowa State. Let's go Cats. Kicking the teeth. Yeah, we're not thinking about Jayhawks. We're not thinking about Longhorns, Sooners, Frogs, Bears, Cowboys. We're not thinking about any of those. It's Farmageddon week, baby. Clones Going down, corn down, weed up. Let's go, K-State, baby. We need this one. Top of the 12, having a laugh. You know what? I'm excited to see the Cats on the road in Ames. Hooray for the city of Ames, if anybody knows it. But uh, go Cats, hoping to see a victory. Let's do this thing. I love it.
Look, if you're noticing that the audio quality suddenly just got a lot better, it's because, like my namesake Mr. Bullsby himself, I made some pretty egregious mistakes at the end here, so I had to re-record it. Enjoy. Well, for all of us here at Cocaine Willie, to everybody in the live room, thank you for listening in and contributing, and then for everybody on the podcast feed as well, thank you also. Look, we've got some really great guests lined up for you in the coming weeks. We're going to have at Stats of War, Parker Fleming is going to be joining us for the TCU preview on October 19th. And then Philip Slavin of the 1012 Network at Oak is going to be joining us on October 26th for the Oklahoma State preview. So tell your friends, stay tuned. We have some awesome guests lined up for you. Give Cocaine Willie a follow on Spotify and be notified of new episodes as they drop. And if you're on Twitter, please give us all a follow at Cocaine Willie and then follow us individually. I'm at Bob Trollsby. The good chef is at Chef Andre Napier. And Fireball Matt is at Matt Marchesini. Chef, take us out. Cocaine's a hell of a drug, baby. Corns down. We are all coke and no joke. Wildcat country. Let's ride.